Welcome to Wiffle's Press Box Podcast, where we discuss the latest topics in the professional world of sports. Enjoy our exclusive interviews with athletes, coaches, insiders, and fans. And now, here's your host, Gary Wiffle. Welcome again to another edition of Wolfel's Press Box Podcast. I'm Gary Wolfel, and I'm joined by my colleague from the Press Box, Jerry Tapp. Welcome, Jerry. Thank you, Gary. Good to be here. As always, right? Yes, always. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't think of anything better you'd like to do than these podcasts. I know. I have nothing else to do in my life, so I might as well <laughs> come over to your beautiful studio. <laughs> the refurbished studio in downtown <laughs> Racine, you know? <laughs> We're going to touch on a number of topics today, including the Milwaukee Bucks, who were recently eliminated from the Eastern Conference playoffs by the Boston Celtics. We will also touch upon the ongoing NBA playoffs. No surprise, the Golden State Warriors look like they're ready to roll again. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about the uh, Bucks. They lost on Saturday night to the Celtics, Game 7. I was not surprised that it went seven games. Before the series started, I predicted seven games. What I didn't predict was the winner. <laughs> yeah. Accurately, to be honest with you, I, I was very, very surprised. I thought the Bucks uh, came into the season as, or into the series as, the more talented team, the more seasoned team, and I thought they would prevail. But that wasn't the team that I expected to uh, show up in Game Seven. I think what we saw is every home team won. So mm-hmm. I guess if you're going to relate that back to the regular season, it really gives you a sense that the Bucks have to do a better job during the regular season so they can get a higher seed, so that they do host that seventh game. I really think that if they hosted that seventh game, the difference in the outcome probably would have been different, especially the way the series was going. That's kind of one thing that I take from this. The other thing is, and I think you and I kind of talked about this before, the Celtics were extremely vulnerable. They didn't have their two best players, Hayward, who they lost early in the season, and Kyrie Irving. If there was ever a time that the Bucks were going to get through the first round and they would have faced Philadelphia, another young team, mm-hmm. they could have very possibly got into the Eastern Conference Finals if they would have gotten past Boston. Now that they lost in this series, next year I really think they're going to have to get up in that four and three seed because they just don't seem to be able to get by that first series if they're that five through eight seed. I totally concur, especially when you have teams that aren't playoff tested like the Bucks or the Celtics. They, they got a lot of young players, mm-hmm. and the home court advantage is even more important at right. that stage. They, they just feed off the home crowd's energy. Absolutely. And it was just so disappointing. Like you said, they didn't have Gordon Hayward. They didn't have Kyrie Irving. By far and away, they're two best players coming into the series. Then on top of it, they didn't have Marcus Smart for the first several games. Right. They finally get Marcus Smart back, and then Jalen Brown gets hurt in Game 7. And Jalen Brown's probably their, what, second-best player mm-hmm. behind Horford, you know? So I totally agree. I think the Bucks squandered a golden opportunity here to advance deep into the playoffs. And, you know, I just talked to Malcolm Brogdon, the reigning Rookie of the Year, for a couple more weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he said flat out, the goal of this team was to reach the Eastern Conference Finals and to not get out of the first round under these circumstances, to me, it was just... Very, very disappointing again. So Nine straight series. Nine straight series, and, and you think it back, the last time they did it was 2001 when right. George Carl was the coach, and yep. 
Ray Allen, Glenn Robinson, and Sam Cassell were forming the big three. But, man, oh, man, I mean, they came out in game seven, and they were disjointed. They mm-hmm. seemed out of sync. They just didn't have any leadership. Giannis didn't step up. Middleton didn't uh, step up. Although, in defense of Middleton, he had what I consider maybe the second-best playoff series mm-hmm. ever by a buck. I mean, from one to seven, he was good in every single game. Yeah. And you have to go back to Kareem to see that kind of you right. know, uh, performance. I think the other thing that the series exposed was just the talent. I asked myself after the series, if Terry Rozier can have the upper hand mm-hmm. on Bledsoe, and everybody thinks that Eric Bledsoe should be that upper tier of the point guards, and Terry Rozier can get the best of him in a series like that, is Eric Bledsoe that good of a point guard? And if he's not, the Bucks need to seriously consider if that's who they're going to have come back next year. And I know we're going to talk about, you know, the next season. Mm-hmm. But, again, that was something that really I thought was exposed the Bucks in the series was just the difference between the talent because I thought the Bucks had three players or, or two players in Giannis and Middleton who clearly are – elite players, but yet they get beat by Boston who don't have their two best players. But yet they've got a bunch of other players that somehow figure out a way to win the the series in seven games. This series, from my perspective, will always be remembered as the Jabari Parkerless Bucks. Good point. First two games of the playoffs, he plays 15 minutes in game one, 10 minutes in game two. Bucks lose both games. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was absolutely inexcusable. Unless Jabari Parker committed a felony that we weren't aware of, he should have been on the court a minimum of 25 to 30 minutes. Exactly. And then finally they come back with him in game three, and you saw what they did. All of a sudden they're a different team. He's coming off the bench. He's getting, you know, whatever it was, 16 points, instant offense. And even in game seven, I think he ended up playing 30, 31 minutes. But I'm telling you, you got to play your best guns even bigger minutes. Right. The season's on the line. Yeah. But again, maybe game one they could have snuck away with a victory, you know? That yeah. that might have made the difference in this Absolutely. series. So yeah. whatever issues the Bucks had with Jabari Parker, those should have been, you know, thrown out the window. I mean, yeah. this isn't the time to get petty about things and right. you know, disciplinary actions or whatever it was. And I'm not right. saying it was. Whatever the reason was, I thought it was lame. You, yeah. you just can't afford to have a guy the caliber of Parker sitting on the bench for the vast majority of the games. So. And the worst part about that is, like you said, when he did come in in games three through seven, he performed very well. So that even more kind of exposes what could have happened in games one and two. So that's why the questions get asked. Where was he in those two games? Yeah, and the other thing that really stood out to me in game seven was how the Bucks didn't have a leader, a flat-out mm-hmm. leader. And I remember going back to 2001, you know, when Sam Cassell was there. He was a leader. I, I remember one time I was talking to Irvin Johnson about Sam Cassell, and he goes, yeah, we were in a playoff game one time, and it was coming down the stretch, a couple minutes left. He went over to Sam Cassell and said, Sam, do your thing. Yeah. He didn't go to Ray Allen. He didn't go to Glenn Robinson. He went to Sam Cassell right? because he felt he was the leader of the team. He was the most clutch player on that team. Yeah. And yesterday when they came out, there was nobody that asserted themselves. Giannis didn't assert himself. I think he was like two for seven in the first half. Chris Middleton, who I said I thought played a great series, in the mm-hmm. first half of game seven wasn't very good. Yeah. And they got behind right off the bat. 
and I'm thinking like somebody next season has to develop into that clear cut leader mm-hmm. where everybody rallies around and said, hey, you know, he's our guy. And I think that again, not to belabor the point, but I think that's if your point guard Eric Bledsoe is not taking on that role, then mm-hmm. who is going to? Of course, Giannis is your leading scorer, leading rebounder, you know, leading assist guy. But is the expectation is that he's going to be the on-court leader as well? I guess it's not too much to ask of him. But again, if you've got a point guard who is supposed to be your coach on the floor, where was Eric Bledsoe in terms of taking control? I know I'm picking on him, but I, I mean, that's... No, me, yeah, you and a lot of, pe- a lot of people. That's I mean, the exposure that I saw from the Bucks over this playoff series. Yeah, I mean, it was funny, Jerry. Before the series started, I talked to an NBA official I really respect. He's been around a long time. He's been a part of championship teams. And we were kind of breaking down the series. And he said that he fully expected Bledsoe to, quote, dominate Rozier. Yeah. He said he's seen him go against other players of Rozier's caliber and just, you know, right. dominate. That didn't happen. It did not happen. It wasn't even close to happening. And right. and what you got to wonder is, as you pointed out, is this the guy you want going forward? Right. The Bucks, you know, when they made the trade, I was all in favor of it. I thought Bledsoe was, you know, another scoring option. Yeah. Good player, wasn't happy in Phoenix, thought he might find a really good situation in Milwaukee. What I wouldn't have done, though, is given up a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the league knew that Eric Butts was available, and everybody knew that Phoenix wanted to get rid of him in the worst way. The right. Bucks held all the cards, right. and yet they gave up a first-round pick. Why didn't they give a, a second-round pick or make it a conditional late first-round pick? Flat yeah. out, no possibilities of anything but a late first-round or second-round yeah. pick. But to think, like, they're going to give up a first-round pick for this guy, mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess if you're going to give up a first-round pick, you expect more from the guy in a playoff series of this magnitude. He certainly did not deliver the way that I think Bucks fans thought. Yeah, so now, uh, you know, season's over, and, and I'm telling you, this is going to be one of the most intriguing off-seasons in Bucks history, and arguably one of the most important, starting with the head coach. They have to right. decide if they're bringing Prunty back. All indications are that it's not going to happen. But the good thing for the Bucks is they got like a who's who of coaching candidates out there, you go right down the list. I, I wrote about this on Wolfel's Press Box, must have been at least two weeks ago, maybe longer, that Mike Budenholzer from Atlanta is very interested, Doc Rivers from mm-hmm. the Clippers is very interested. You're hearing all sorts of rumblings now that maybe Rick Carlisle might leave Dallas. Gosh, I mean, that would be unbelievable. Yeah. So, I mean, again, they are going to have a who's who of coaching candidates and then we didn't even touch on some of the college guys. I mean, right. like, like I think Tony, the world of Tony Bennett. Yeah, I'll tell you what. If I was a GM, I would hire that guy. I think he's Brad Stevens too. Yeah, it just put together an incredible resume at Virginia, which was a doormat mm-hmm. before he took over. He was outstanding at Washington State. Another program that was horrible till he came in there. And maybe the kicker in my mind is, I've talked to three of his players, and, and I'll be doing a story for Wolfel's Press Box uh, this week. They worship Tony Bennett. They treat him like a pope. Yeah. I mean, guys like Melkin Brogdon, he can't say enough good things about him. So right. the Bucks, I think, are inclined to go out and get a coach with a proven track record. I don't blame him for that, but at the same time, I'm looking seriously at Tony Bennett. I just love everything about this guy. He's got high character, and we all know he can coach. And I think, too, when you look at the potential candidates, not only Bennett, but Doc Rivers, they both have ties to Milwaukee. Where I think that comes into play is the fact that you've got a new arena. 
Mm-hmm. So from a marketing perspective, you got a new arena. And this is nothing against Prunty because I think he did a good job in, I agree. in the situation that he was put in. I just don't think that he's the person that you want to hand the keys to and say, take us into the promised land with this new arena. That having been said, I think you have to look at, if I was going to give you my number one candidate, I think Doc Rivers, to me, is an attractive candidate if he does leave L.A. Mm -hmm. And again, I believe that the attraction of a new arena in Milwaukee, Rivers tied to Milwaukee, and as you said, even Tony Bennett's tied to Wisconsin, I would think that would make those two guys really, really attractive candidates. The other thing, getting back to Bennett, that I like, he could be here long term. You're moving into a new arena. You want a fresh face. This guy is going to represent your franchise going forward. And Tony Bennett, I've had the pleasure, and I, I do say pleasure, of meeting him yeah. on several occasions, is one of the classiest guys I've ever met. You know, I talked to, uh, about the testimonials of guys that played for him. Yeah. I'm telling you, I wouldn't have any problem with it, especially when you think, like, you know what? The Bucks are still a young team. They're, mm-hmm. they're kind of pushing the panic button, like, hey, we got to get this done in the next two, three years. Yeah. No, they don't. You know, Giannis, there's speculation Giannis is going to leave after two years if they don't have a title contending team. Well, you know what? He's not going to leave unless there's some crazy situation. But if you keep Giannis there, you keep Jabari Parker there, you keep Brogdon there, mm-hmm. you know, who knows about Middleton. That team's around for the next six or eight years. And you, so. hit, on, you hit on a great point because I, that's another thing that's going to attract coaches is the fact that they do have a lot of young talent, like all these guys you you named, Giannis and Parker and Brogdon, uh, even Thon Maker. I mean, he showed during the playoffs that you know he he needs to be more consistent. But he had two games worth to quote your headline. He was the difference maker. By the way, that's his new nickname. I, I told him that, and he started laughing. I said, you are now a difference maker. <laughs> you always find a way to get the, <laughs> to get that in there. Yeah, I, I think that's what's going to be attractive to a lot of these potential coaches, as opposed to a team that was, say, uh, 14 and 68, mm-hmm. and they have little talent. I mean, what coaches would want to come? But the, here's a team that you know was in the playoffs this year, and if Prunty isn't going to be around – I got to believe that there's going to be a long list of guys that are going to be lined up saying, give me a shot at handling this team. It's going to be fascinating. But again, I love Bennett. I love Doc Rivers. The only people I do not want them to hire is Rick Pitino. Mm-hmm. That's been rumbling around out there. Mm-hmm. Kevin McHale's been rumbling around there. It's like, I'm not sure if those guys, Pitino, number one, I, I just think would just be a horrendous yeah. decision. And Jeff Van Gundy. I mean, Jeff Van Gundy's been out of the league now for several years. Yes, he's been a commentator, but it's a whole new game, right. coaching and being a commentator. So, but Mark Jackson is another one whose name has been absolutely about. And he not, would be he would be in my top five, no yeah. question about it. And maybe not so much for the Bucks, but he's somebody that people are talking about for any opening. So, sure, you know, unfortunately, it kind of goes the way of a lot of these baseball and football announcers. Once you, you do a great job as an announcer, then everybody thinks, oh, you must be able to be able to do that as a coach. And that's when you get some of these baseball guys that had never even coached before, who, because they did a good job in the announcer's booth, 
they think, oh, well, he might be a good coach. Yeah. Time will tell. Yeah, you know, the other thing I found, too, you know, not only in the NBA, but in the NFL, over the years, one thing I've noticed, and I'm not saying it's, it's a hard, fast rule, but I have noticed that coaches that are in their 40s that haven't really done much, okay, mm-hmm. have this appetite to succeed. They yeah. are absolutely driven. They're at a point in their career. They want to achieve something. You know, yeah. they, they want to make a name for themselves. Right. To me, if you got good candidates in that age range and they can still relate to young players, more importantly, that's yeah. the problem where I have with, with guys that are late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. I don't think they can relate to these guys very yeah. well. And right. the other thing is, if you look at the coaches today, the really good ones, Steve Kerr, great people person. Right. You look at Brad Stevens, great people person. Right. That's how I see Tony Bennett along mm-hmm. those lines. He's in that 40 range. He can get along with anybody that he runs into. Yeah. And yes, I am selling Tony for that. I was just going to say, boy, I think you. <laughs> and I'm not even getting the five uh, percent agent yeah, fee for this. You yeah, know, you're not getting anything no. out of it. But yeah, no. Hey, a couple of other quick things on the books and sure. uh, talking about free agency. Jabari Parker, what's your um, gut feeling? I, I, my gut feeling is again after what he did in the playoffs. You know, he obviously was a little upset not getting the playing time in those first two games. Probably said some things that he shouldn't have said in terms of just, you know, keep it in the family. But you know what? He called his coach out for not playing him. He got on the court and he played very well. I think you have to keep him. That's my sense of it. To let him go just doesn't make sense. The only question I have is if Parker stays, your best three players are Giannis, Middleton, and Parker. Mm -hmm. They all seem to play the same position it's like the same guy in three different bodies. So yeah. how, how do you split up those minutes would probably be the so, only thing. See, that, I, I don't have an issue. To me, it's like positionless basketball. I mean, you look at Golden State. Yeah. You know, you move the ball around, and all of a sudden you got three tremendous scores. Yeah. Who, who do you try to stop? You know, it's it's all up to them at right. that point if and, they want to play unselfish basketball. And, Gary, here's, a good, I think, a good point. If you looked at Parker, not only did he score in the playoffs, mm-hmm. but he rebounded. So, he ma- did. He so did. many times in the playoffs, you'd see the Bucks passing the ball on the outside right by the three-point line. Mm-hmm. There was nobody anywhere near trying to get a rebound. Somebody would take a shot, and there'd be like three Celtics that would be fighting for a rebound because there was no Bucks player there. So I think Parker's desire to be a complete player, which includes being a rebounder, again, would bode well. And let me just throw a stat out. I would be disappointed if you didn't. <laughs> I knew that. That's why I'm doing it. <laughs> the Bucks this year, if you look at how many players had 10 rebounds in a game or more, Giannis had 42 games okay. where he had 10 rebounds. The second one was Henson at 13. Here's your center who only had 13 games. But if you look at the Bucks, had 61 games mm-hmm. where they had a player that got 10 or more rebounds, Okay, 42 of them are from Giannis. That's putting way too much pressure on him. To rebound, they've got to find somebody else who doesn't mind being a defender and a rebounder. Absolutely. And I don't think it's John Henson. But by the same token, my first thought was, boy, if if they could do like what Bill Walton did in the old Portland teams. Bill Walton had um, Maurice Maurice Lucas. Lucas. Absolutely. And you know what? He played defense. He was a defender. He was the enforcer. And he rebounded. The Bucks have to find somebody like that. I totally agree. I mean, 
everybody made a big deal about Giannis's numbers in recent years. That's because he didn't have anybody that could do those exactly. things. They didn't have a good playmaker, so nobody was going to get a lot of assists. Yeah. I mean, I looked at last night's game. It was ridiculous again. Yeah. Nobody, you know, had like one of these 8, 10, 12 uh, assist games. No. Nobody rebounds, like you pointed out. So, yeah, Giannis is going to get those numbers because they're so lacking in those areas. Exactly. And here's another quick stat for you. Giannis ended up the season with 2,000 points, 700 rebounds, and 300 assists. That's only happened 37 times in NBA history. Somebody Mm -hmm. that did 2,000 points, 700 rebounds, and 300 assists. But if you look at all the times that it was done by those players... Only two players ever won an NBA championship having those numbers. Is that right? That's a 1980, great, that's... Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 1986, Larry Bird. So, you know, you yeah. put together these god-awful numbers. It looks good on the resume, but when it really boils down to it, when you're depending on one guy to do that much work with, you know, assists and rebounds and points, these teams are not going to the NBA Finals and yeah. winning the title. Just one final thought from uh, my perspective on, on Jabari Parker. If they don't re-sign them, they will have no prayer in purgatory of winning an NBA title. Nobody's going to come here that's a big-time player. I was listening to a national broadcast Sunday morning, and uh, somebody was talking about LeBron and where he could possibly go. And all of a sudden he goes, you know, it's fun just to see LeBron playing with Giannis. Absolutely, I think we'd all agree with that. And then, then the announcer came to his senses and goes, Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is national guy. Right. But it's factual. Nobody's going to come to Milwaukee. I mean, the best free agent they've ever had come to Milwaukee was Greg Monroe, mm-hmm. who wasn't even an all-star and who didn't do much in his time in Milwaukee. Bobby yeah. Simmons was sixth man of the year. Mm-hmm. But on that, not one star, much less a superstar, has come to Milwaukee, and right. they're not coming to Milwaukee. So no. my feeling is, hey, yeah, there's risk involved with Parker. You know, he's got the two knee surgeries. you got to be concerned about it, of course. But if they're serious about winning an NBA title, they got to do what is ever necessary to keep them in Milwaukee. I would agree. Wow, we agreed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, so one more thing, and we'll wrap up this edition. Let's just narrow it down. Two things that the Bucks need to do during the offseason. Uh, I think number one is they have to sign Jabari Parker. Okay. And number two, and we talked a little bit about this, I think they need to find some more shooters, people that can hit the three, people that can, if Giannis is going to handle the ball more and is in the open court, if they're collapsing on Giannis, and I heard this, and I, you and I talked about this briefly, Giannis's game is, is tailor-made to the way LeBron is playing. Mm-hmm. But the difference between LeBron and Giannis is that LeBron has players like J.R. Smith, Kyle Korver, that when Giannis... Kevin Love, yeah. Yeah, Kevin Love. So that when LeBron James drives down the middle of the court, he's got options on either side of him where guys can drain a three. I don't think Giannis is at that point right now. So my number two thing would be they've got to find some more shooters that they can get on the court who can score or that can come in and maybe hit two or three threes at a time when they need to either get back in the game or really separate themselves from you. I agree with your first two points. The latter, the Bucks have seemingly forever tried to find three-point shooters. I mean, they went out and tried to get Toledovich, and, of course, he had that unfortunate uh, hardy ailment. But right. he really didn't do much, you know, in his first year with the Bucks. Kind mm-hmm. of a disappointment. They, they tried 
getting a shooter with Rashad Vaughn. He never panned out. You can go right down the list. O.J. Mail, right. Rivas Vasquez. I mean, they have been trying to get yeah. some perimeter shooting, but haven't done it. Yeah, They absolutely have to do it. At least find one good shooter to alleviate the pressure, whether they keep Middleton. Parker is showing signs that he can be a, a pretty good three-point shooter, yeah. but they still need a shooter. You know, one, one thing I, I would also say is there's talk already, and, and I brought this up the trading deadline back in February, the Bucks have had interest in DeAndre Jordan, and what I'm hearing from my sources around the league is DeAndre Jordan is interested in the Bucks and vice versa. But if I'm the Bucks, there's no way in heck I'm giving up Parker or, or Middleton. No. You know, I'm not giving up any of my core players. I'm going to keep this unit intact and say, hey, you know what? We're going to figure it out one way or the other, and yeah. hopefully that new coach comes in and can explain it, that if these guys you know, play together, are on the same page, have a common goal, they can be pretty darn good. And I think if you also look at the Eastern Conference coming in the, in the seasons to come, although Philadelphia really looks like a team to beat in the next upcoming years, and then mm-hmm. Boston when Hayward and Kyrie Irving come back, but Cleveland is probably going to be on the down, the, the down swing. Exactly. And I think the Bucks have an opportunity with their core lineup that they could get in that upper four or five teams I think everybody thought they were going to do it this year. It didn't happen. But it, they certainly could be that way next season. Yeah, it's just going to be a fascinating summer. Just an incredibly intriguing new coach, probably a new president of basketball operations, maybe a tweak or two on the roster. Are you interested in the president of basketball operations position? And give up my podcast? No way. <laughs> I, I kind of figured that was the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, it, it's it's just going to be a fun, fun, fun summer if you're a Bucks fan. So, Jerry, as usual, thanks for uh, dropping by. You're Good welcome. stuff as usual. I loved your stats. And, uh, thank you, dear. Thank you to all your listeners, and uh, have a good one. For more sports news, check back every Tuesday for our latest show. You can also follow Gary on Twitter at GaryWuffle and Wuffle's Press Box.com.